Morning, New City. Um, I always admire Matt's beard. I think I'm from Portland, Oregon. He would fit right in right there. Um, but as he says, um, I've got five kids, Catherine, Maggie, Jonathan, Rose, and Charles. And um, we're so excited to be here. And um, it's been so fun. We were just, I just told Matt we meet every week. And I just, I'm just falling in love with this church. It's been so good. You guys have so many stories of what's going on here. And that's been so encouraging. I mean, just right there when I was sitting, I had three guys like at different times pray for me. Just, it's just at a random. And so it's so encouraging. Um, one of the things that Pastor Matt wanted us to do are three words. You guys remember what they are? Connect, serve, and grow. Yeah, and so, and so what we've been doing to emphasize those things is Matt, uh, Pastor Matt has been doing a series called Ha Ha, Real Funny God, Ain't No Way. And, and, and there are moments like that in our lives, aren't there? And there are certainly many parts in the, in the Bible where you see these stories. And, and, and the one that really struck Pastor Matt's heart was that story of Abraham, I mean, basically on his way to the graveyard, and then God telling him, yeah, you're going to have a kid this time next year. Okay, God, ha-ha, real funny. Why'd you laugh? You know, and Sarah laughed. And then she said, I didn't laugh, but you did. And so, and so what we're going to do today is, is, is look in the story that, even if you haven't been in a church a long time, you probably know the story of David and Goliath. So if I invite you to, if you have your Bibles, um, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. I apologize, I don't have the word up here on the screen, um, so, uh, but I will read as clearly as possible, and we'll just ask the Spirit to, to just come. Let me pray, speaking of Spirit. Father, um, this is your word here. And I just pray, Lord, that we do not come to this lightly, but we believe that we are encountering you when we open up your word. So speak to us today. I just pray, Lord, you would encourage us, that we would repent and we would respond to you and not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. It's in Jesus' name, amen. In this uh, story of David and Goliath, there, I'm gonna look over four different acts. And, 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 and in this, we're going to see Act 1. We're going to see the Bible introduce the, the antagonist, the giant, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 1. This is the word of God. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Ezekiah in Ephesdamim. Now, guys, let me just stop right here. This, 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 what this means is the Philistines are invading. Judah can't, or Israel, they can't ignore this problem. They're coming after them, so they, they've got a problem here. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Now, we, we got a problem here. It's a serious problem. I want you to picture this. Um, we, we, we've got a, an, an invading army. The Philistines are coming, and, and they've all encamped on one side of the hill. Now, if you go to Portland, you can see that it's a hilly demographic, and, and, and you'll see houses all along the side of a, of a hill. And so and you got that, and then you got another hill. You can Google it, Valley of Ela, and, and you can see that there's two different hills, and, and Israel's on the other side. That means they're exposing each other. Now, what you've got to understand about the Philistines is that they're, 
far more superior physically and technologically than Israel. Israel. The Philistines were kind of like what, uh, if you know the story of Moses, do you remember that story of Moses when they were going into the promised land um, where they wanted to, and Moses sent out spies, and these spies came back with a report, these guys are like giants, the Canaanites. We can't fight these guys, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. The same thing with the Philistines here, they were physically more superior. Technologically, they were more superior. They had bronze helmets and, and armor and weapons. And, 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 and it went both ways. The Philistines could see the Israelites. The Israelites, if you read in chapter 13, that says that there wasn't a blacksmith in all of Israel. Do you know what that means? There's no weapons. They brought farming equipment for weapons. Pitchforks, mattocks, axes, anything with a pointy end. And you could see the inferiority of that army and their tiny. So with that in mind, you, you, you got to put yourself in a Philistine general's shoe. Why are we going to waste all our thousands of lives? And why are we going to waste potential manual resources? Look, they've already got the farming equipment. Why are we, why are we going to do that? So let's, let's send a representative, someone, a champion, someone that will magnify our physical and technological superiority. Verse 4. And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. Translation, that means he was nine foot nine. Now, it, some of you, in the, on, the, on the footnote of your Bible, it might say there's some older texts like the Septuagint and um, the Dead Sea Scrolls will actually list him at four cubits in his span, which makes him six foot nine. Here's the thing, guys. It doesn't matter. It, it, the details doesn't matter. The point is, what, what, the, what the writer of this book wants us to get is his size imposed fear on you. Okay? That's the whole point. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. And he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's 125 pounds. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekel of iron. That's 15 pounds. And his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you are not a servant of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, well, then we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine says, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Every one of us face giants in our lives. From a human perspective, it seems impossible. That's what makes it a giant. The details here about uh, Goliath's armor and weapon and all that, it's supposed to inspire fear. You're supposed to say, what, are you kidding me? Who can defeat Goliath? That's the whole point. Who can defeat addiction? 
you know, the addictive substance or, or porn. It just looms so large in your life. Who can, who, can, who, who can defeat that? Depression, who can defeat that? Or maybe you've been so overwhelmed at work, just, you just feel like you can't survive. But, but, but giants don't have to be internal struggles. Sometimes, as a leader, you see something that ought not be, and you say, no, what, something's got to be done about that. You see, visions are born out of a concern. You see, hey, that, something's got to be done. And, and you think about it, and you stew over it, and then that concern turns into a burden. And then that burden turns into a moral imperative. But here's the thing. When you're in a place where you're planning to do something and then to another place of executing, that space just seems so impossible. It's a giant. And in my case, or church planning, it's a giant. Just this, just this week, I, I woke up this morning. I mean, that, that, not that morning, but in the middle of the night. And I said, what am I doing? <laughs> Can I just be vulnerable with you? the stakes are high. I've got five kids. And so what am I going to do? Let's focus on the theme, connect, serve, and grow. Can I overcome a fear of new things so I can get involved with a city group? You know, know, for extroverts, that ain't no problem. But introverts, you know that's a huge step. What if I can just overcome that giant? Or, or, or what about, you know you've got to say something to someone, but you avoid confrontations like a plague. Can you overcome that giant? Well, if we're going to do the connect, serve, grow thing, yeah, you got to. Or, uh, <laughs> this is a big one that some people just don't want to face. What if um, God's calling you to stop being a consumer of the church, where you just take, take, take? It brings you to a place where you're actually a servant. Like when Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. What if God's calling you to that giant, to defeat that giant? There's so many we can go. Even one more. uh, uh, Do I have what it takes to disciple, to disciple someone else, to disciple someone else? Do I have what it takes to lead a city group? The, the, the answer on all these different kinds of giants depends on whom you follow to lead you and motivate you. So, here we go. Act 2. Now we're going to be introduced to the hero. Verse, thir- verse 12. Now David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of the three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. All right, let's just stop right here. (laughs) At this point, there's a major contrast between Goliath and David. Okay, What we hear about Goliath, his description inspires fear, whereas with David... There's nothing to inspire confidence, right? I mean, th- th- there's more to say about his brothers, for crying out loud. If you, if you read through 1 Samuel, you'll know in the first chapter, um, Samuel, the prophet, was called to find the next king and anoint him. 
And so he knows it's supposed to be, this person will be in Bethlehem and it'll be the son, or he'll be the son of Jesse. So he goes to Jesse, hey, one of your sons will be king. I need to meet them. So he lines them up. And the first person he sees is the oldest, Eliab. And what does Samuel say? Wow, this is surely the king. So we get this idea, this clue that Eliab is impressive stature, maybe even height. I guess in Israel they make a big deal about height because they talk about it over and over again. <laughs> and it must be because they're little. So, but, 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 they, but, they, they, but you would think at this point, if you've never read this book before, where's the hero? Who's going to take on Goliath? Let's go on. The, ver- the three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. I mean, can you imagine? That's over a month of just fear. There's something in the Bible about the number 40 and, and just hardship. You know what I mean? Like in Noah's day, it, it, it rained 40 days and night to wipe out all life on earth. Moses and the Israelites wandered the, the wilderness for 40 years with no chance to enter the promised land. Ezekiel laid on his right side for 40 days to bear the iniquity of Israel's sin. Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness and experienced hard temptations. And for 40 days, Israel here had to experience intense fear and duress. Who in the heck is going to take on this giant? There's, any, there's just this, this famine of courage and, and this God-sized vision. Now, the three eldest sons followed Saul's example. They followed on his example to rely on natural talents to get things accomplished. Saul himself, if you know about him, he was said to be, again, I'm just, I'm just telling you, Israel is all about height. Israel, Saul, he was made king because he was a head above everyone else. He was handsome. Everyone looked at him, yeah, you have the look of a king. But he, he was fearful. Saul was said to be tall, but Goliath's taller. And if you read earlier on, Saul was mighty in battle, but Goliath is mightier. Natural talents isn't enough when it comes to God's kingdom. He can use it, but you may be smart, but Satan's smarter. And he'll get someone smarter than you to do his bidding. You can be really strong-willed and strong in other, in, in other things, but there's always someone better. It isn't enough. And Saul bought into this limited perspective of this world, and, he, and, 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 there, and, and because of that, he couldn't see past the might of Goliath. Who can beat Goliath? And as a leader, you can't, follow, you can't ask your followers to do what you're not willing to do. He threw all sorts of rewards. Hey, you can marry my daughter. I'll give you all sorts of riches. If someone will do this, but no one wants to do it because Saul won't do it. Saul was so cowering in fear. Everyone was gripped with fear. But here's the good news. The three eldest sons followed Goliath, but, but, I love that word, but, David 
went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Don't miss this. David did not follow Saul. Do you think David wanted to be out where he was doing? Don't, he had to go back and forth. He had to go take care of sheep, dumb sheep. Do you think he wanted to be there where the action, as a young man, as, where the action is with Saul? Where do you think he wanted to be? He wanted to be where Saul was. Not only that, but taking care of sheep is a lowly task. But God was doing something special there. God was meeting David out in the pastures. The pastures was where David was meditating on the nature of God, the purposes of God, the ways of God. And and he just had this way where he was cultivating a supernatural courage and, and, and a God-sized vision. Let me ask you, where, where do you think he got the inspiration to write the Psalms? Psalm 4, 8, In peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Psalm 5, 8, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Psalm 6, 4, Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Psalm 99, the Lord is the stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And then Psalm 18, 2 and 3, this is my favorite. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. Amen? And on and on and on it goes. I can just go on forever with that. And while Israel was spiritually starving themselves, the shepherd David, by grace, was being filled with the beautiful and powerful presence of God. And over time, God was developing David's character. This didn't happen overnight. Don't miss this. The three eldest sons followed Saul, but David had to go back and forth. God protected his young, impressionable heart from following Saul. He was doing something in this boy. And if if some of you who are experiencing God, you'll know this. God cares way more about your relationship with him than what you can do for him. Well, the time came for David to go back to where the action was because Jesse had made some food and told David, come on, get this to your brothers. Go check up on them. So David eagerly, I'm sure, was like, finally, went over to where the action was. And what he came to was Israel already in battle formation. Israel. The Philistines were in battle formation, army against army. And what he came to was just, just shouts of, of a war cry. I mean, the adrenaline must have been high. So he finds his brother and says, hey, what's going on? And, and he hangs out with them. And then that's when it happened. Goliath once again stepped out of rank and made the same speech and defied the ranks of Israel. The difference this time is, there was a man of God, really a boy, a man after God's own heart, 
who heard him. I love what scripture says. And he heard him. Period. We're about to shift the story now. No more introductions. Let's build on the action. And so at the sight of Goliath, the whole army ran away. And when they regrouped, verse 26, and David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? (laughs) David was not impressed with Goliath's might. You know why? You might call him naive. You might call him just young. He doesn't know any better. I'll tell you the truth. It's because he gazed upon the beauty and majesty of the Lord. Goliath can be 20 feet tall. God's still bigger. And he meant it when he wrote in Psalm 8.1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Who is Goliath? He's an uncircumcised Philistine. Do you know what that means? He's cut off from God and God's people. (laughs) He has no place in, in what God has promised to his people, and therefore he has no place in what God will provide for his people. He's cut off. Who is this Philistine? And how dare he defy God's chosen people? An assault on God's people is an assault on God. Something's got to happen. He won't have it. And here's the ultimate thing that's really driving David. Because he just worships God and he sits at his feet and he just loves just being in his presence, what's at stake here is God's glory. That's the ultimate thing. It's not about his glory. It's not about advancing to the next place. It's just about, man, something's got to be done. God can't be made look to be a fool. And that's what Israel's done. Can I declare you, to you a truth here? Your giant is really not that gigantic. Now, I've got to be careful here. Because this isn't some Oprah gospel. I'm not saying, you know, reach into your inner strength. And then you know what? You can face your giants. Because if you're just doing that, then of course you're going to run away from giants. That's understandable. Of course you're going to uh, just cower in fear. That's understandable. No one's going to just call you out on that. What David is doing here is he, he didn't focus on Goliath like everybody else in Israel. He didn't look to himself. He was mesmerized by the size of God. He worshipped, and that's why he didn't cower in fear. He had a different perspective. So let's go to Act 3, Overcoming Doubters. In a ha-ha, real funny God ain't no way series, we got a twist here. You know, in the other sermons that Pastor Matt had been preaching, it's the main character. The pattern is like this. God makes a promise or he says, you're going to do this. That person, the first initial reaction will be, okay, God, real funny. But then he or she eventually obeys. We don't got that with David, do we? Maybe he did, but the scripture didn't say anything about that. In this, we have a twist. Look at it, verse 28. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. 
And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your, pres- your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. And David said, what? What did I do? It was just a word. And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. Oh, let me ask you this. Why do you think Eliab was angry? Something just lit him up. He was probably embarrassed. He probably saw that, uh, that this is my kid brother here, and he's making a fool out of me. He was going along with the crowd. And it was, it was, so it's one thing for you to say, ha ha, real funny God, when God calls you to something extraordinary. But when you act out in response, you can probably expect other people to say the same thing to you. What, you're going to do what? How many, okay. I went to a, a, um, a class reunion, 20th year class reunion this year. And I could go this time because I was here. And do you know how many weird looks I got when people asked me, hey, so what are you doing nowadays? I'm going to go plant a church. Oh. I didn't know you could do that. And then in my head, I was like, well, how do you think church got started? It's got to start sometimes. I don't know how many times I get that look. Did you guys, I had turned down a really well-paying job. There was a church in, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, that really wanted to get me. They were also willing to pay, uh, pay the down payment for a house. They just really wanted me. They were just trying to throw in all sorts of deals at me. And, and it would have been actually really nice because um, I have a Ph.D., and it's in a university town, and it would have been my sorts of peeps, and it would have been awesome. But God really called me to Kansas City, and I said, I can't take that. You're going to hear people say, what? What's important to really figure out, because sometimes you do need to hear people say, hey, what you're doing is not a good idea. So how do you know? How do you distinguish the two? You need to know if it's really from God. And that's why David pressed on. That's why he didn't listen to his brother. His primary motivation was extolling the name of God. And you know what Goliath was doing? He was defying God by defying the ranks of Israel. Man, do you realize what the Philistines were doing was reverse God's will? God had already liberated Israel from Egypt. He's made true on his promise, and he, he's given them the promised land when he promised their father Abraham all the years back. The Philistines want to reverse that. The Philistines want to take away their freedom, enslave them. And the Philistines want to take away God's gift to them. That's when you know you're facing a giant, when it's reversing God's will for you. Satan's coming to you and says, go back to your addiction. You can't beat it. Yeah, God told you, when he told your parents, Adam and Eve, go rule and subdue the earth with your work. But you know what? You can't do that. Your work's going to rule and subdue you. On and on and on that Satan wants to do. 
to reverse God's will. Your giant's too big. Your vision, it's not going to work. It's too big. Seriously? Here's the thing. If you cultivate, as much as David did, time with God. That's why Pastor Matt's just been calling on us to get in the word. If you cultivate just a relationship with God like David did, oh my gosh, his voice, God's voice, will begin to drown out all these other voices. That's what made David just so bold. He began to build a conviction. I've got to slay this giant. What's your giant in your life? Now, David had to go through one more doubter. The words of David that was controversial, and it made way to King Saul. So King Saul was like, who is this guy? Let me go see him. So David went to go see Saul. When the words, verse 31, when the words of David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he went and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fall because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, ha ha, real funny, God ain't no way. You're not able to go against this Philistine and fight against him. You're but a youth. He's been a man that's been training all these years. What have you done? But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there was a lion or a bear that took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. Do you see how God-centered he is? He keeps going back to that. And David said, The Lord has delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Setting up the action here. God's always preparing his people to grow. It's not like David was slaying bears and lions. Man, I got to train for this giant here. I got to get these predators. Because there will be a human predator. No, he was simply being faithful to his job as a shepherd. And maybe you're in a waiting period, and you're like, dude, I just want to do something for God. But maybe what God is doing is preparing you. And what you're doing right now is actually so important for what God has in store for you. So this isn't blind optimism we're called to. This is just a faithful walk with our God, and your moment's going to come. Now, let's get to the giant. Let's face the giant. Act four, the final act, we're overcoming the giant. Saul, what he did then was he imposed on David his fear, his fear of the bronze armor and the helmet. And so he gave him a bronze helmet and an armor and a sword. And, and David just felt ridiculous. It was like, I, didn't, I haven't tested these things. I, I, I can't do this. So he took them off. He will not let other people's fear be imposed on him. So what he did was he went out. I didn't realize this until I was just reading this closely. He went out by himself. Maybe he was praying. And he went out to a creek, some nature, picked up five smooth stones, and he was ready to go face the giant with just a pouch of five stones, a sling, and a shepherd's staff. Something he's already been it's something he was already using when he was fighting the, the predators around the sheep. 
And so then, verse 41, the Philistine moved forward and moved near to David and his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by the gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, and that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hand. If you've been around the church, and maybe even if you haven't, you probably know the rest of the story. David took his sling, embedded a piece of stone to his forehead, killed him, and won. Can I just tell you the gospel here? gospel is, is, is just presented so clear in a short sense. The battle is the Lord's. Don't make the modern mistake that this battle was just between David and Goliath. That's why Goliath was, was is cursing David with his God, and David was cursing Goliath with his God. The Philistines and the Israelites knew this. This is a fight between Yahweh and Dagon, the Philistine God. Everyone knew this. God's glory was online again. That's why David stressed again and again that his God was the living God because he knows that Dagon is a false and dead God. God, Yahweh, is the living God who saves. And so what I just want to tell you, why I told you earlier that your giant isn't that gigantic, you don't have to face your giants alone. The Lord goes before you with all his might. He always leads from the front. Have you guys seen the movie uh, Band of Brothers? I love this one scene. I'll never forget it. There is this one leader named Lieutenant Dick Winters. Always led from the front, inspired his men. And there was this one man cowered in a foxhole, and he could not get the courage to get up and fight in the heat of a battle. And then here comes Lieutenant Winters, and he sees his, his soldier do that. And he says, get up, soldier. And he's standing up outside of the foxhole with bullets whizzing by him. And he says, get up, fight. And he's fighting and shooting the Nazis. And then he sees his leader do this, and he finally builds up the courage to fight. Your God goes before you. He's fighting. He's not saying, ah, I wish something can be done. No, he goes before you. God takes the initiative. He always takes the initiative and leads us to victory. And you know how he does this in our time? Through his son, Jesus. The gospel isn't be as strong as you can be. And if you have faith in yourself, you can take on your giants. No, the gospel is Christ died for your sins. And he was buried and he rose again in the third day. Do you know what that means? Don't just make that, this is a fireproof insurance now. 
I don't have to go to hell. I can just go to heaven now. That's not, that's true, but that's not the only thing. Do you know what Jesus did for you? He, he made a way where you can be in a relationship with God now. And when you're in relationship with God, your perspective changes. When you make a decision to trust in Christ and align your allegiance to him and subsequently adjust your life under his lordship, you will be saved from your giants. It may take a time in what's called a sanctification process, but God's working in front of you. No one, no one told God, we need Jesus. No one told him that. He took this on his own initiative. It was his demonstration for his love for you. He's leading from the front. And he's looking behind him. And he's smiling at you. And he's saying, will you come and follow me? That's my challenge for you today. Will you follow him? Because his ways is always better than our ways. Let me pray. Father, Lord, um, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus. And I just, I just pray, Lord, that we would repent from distracting ourselves from giants, that we, that from being cowering in fear. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I just pray, Father, that every single person in this room following Jesus would have stories to tell of slaying giants and can be and, and would be able to come back on a Sunday morning and share that story so that we can give you glory, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.